about the parshios dealing with the Mishnah. The challenge is to sort of to penetrate beyond, to penetrate beyond the dimensions, and try to go a little bit deeper. So what I'd like to do today, um, in today's shir, is to focus on one utensil. In previous years, we focused on on the ark, we focused on the menorah, but I don't think we've ever really focused on the shulchan, on the table. Um, and I'd like to learn with you, page 448, I'd like to learn with you um, the, the, Torah, the Torah's description of the shulchan. I'd like to share with you uh, several concepts, but really two basic themes that emerge from the Torah's description of the shulchan. So, before we actually look at it inside, in page 448, chapter um, 25, Parakafei Paskav Gimel, I want to read to you what the Rambam says. What do, before, we, before we go inside, what do we know is associated with the table, with the shulchan? What, what's the famous sort of thing that... The mizbech is, not, is different from the shulchan. It's associated in the sense that it's another utensil. But what? What's that? Not the shteha lechem, but not bad. Shteha lechem is shavuos. Lechem hapanim. Right? Lechem hapanim, which... Literally is means what the bread of what the, face. the bread of the face right or the bread of the inside or what is often translated in English as the what as the showbread, showbread. as the showbread I want to read to you what the Rambam says it's it's, it's helpful to put things in context um, and this will be our point of departure when discussing the lechem upon the, the shulchan and the lechem upon before I get, read the Rambam, what's the famous miracle that's associated with the lechem upon him? What's that? It always stayed fresh. It always stayed fresh. And that's a nice miracle. It's a very nice miracle. And that's often also associated with another earlier miracle. Somebody, I, I, think, I think I heard somebody say it. I, you don't, we have courage, say it. Matzah? No, it would have. The lechem upon him actually was halachically matzah. It wasn't mamish like that matzah. The man. What do you mean? What? How is it connected to the man? It wouldn't spoil. The wouldn't, man, man didn't have much time to spoil. It had to be eaten within a day. But there was another thing. And the man did spoil, actually. The man did spoil. There's another. What's that? <coughs> Ah, the miracle no, is with Sarah and Rivka. Remember the, the, the it's interesting to point out the Ramban that we made this point in the previous years that the there are some famous miracles associated with the Mishkan that bring us back to the patriarchs and the matriarchs. The Ramban in fact says that the Mishkan is really the house of the Avos and the Imahos. It's just a return to the home of the patriarchs and the matriarchs. It's it's basically it's basically coming back, a return home. And if you think about it, there are three famous miracles associated with Sarah and Rivka. And what are those three famous miracles? We've, most of us <coughs> probably familiar with yeah, what is that? The lechem. The, what, the, the lechem. It stayed the, for the whole. It stayed fresh. The, and the, langu- the language of the Chazal is that, that it was bracha mitsuya be'isa. There was a blessing associated with that dough. It stayed fresh, good. What else? The candle. The the the, 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 the nair right the candle remained lit right for five for the seven days the, so the remain the nair constantly remained lit right from one week and to the, the other the cloud and the cloud over the over the oha and if you think about it those represent the cl- we know that the mishkan had the cloud over the oha we know that there's something to do with the nair tamid having to do with the menorah which is really not our discussion today. Um, and and then also the the same miracle that's associated with the with the freshness of the bread. Now, let me read to you what the Rambam writes. We're gonna I'm gonna try to come back to that in a few moments. So language of the Rambam. It's a little bit technical in the beginning, but it will give us a good picture. And I'll, I'll try to you know focus on the main things here. The table the Rambam writes was 12 hand breaths, 12 tfachim long. 
and six handbreadths wide. So let's imagine a handbreadth is three inches. So 36, um, 36 inches by 18 inches, right? So that's uh, in our dimensions, three feet by one and a half feet. Its length was positioned in parallel with the length, length of the Mishkan. And, it's, and you should, even in the article, they might even put it, you know, might even put it in the dimensions. And its width was, was positioned in parallel with the width of the, of the Mishkan. The table had four side frames of gold. Now, not everybody agrees with what the Rambam says in terms of the details, but, it's, but there were definitely um, or different pieces to the table. The table had four side frames of gold. They supported the two arrangements of the showbread. Because, as we will see, that... There were how many loaves of the showbread, of Lechem upon him? Twelve. And there were six and six, so two arrangements. The, um, they supported the two arrangements of the showbread, two for each arrangement. So four side from... You see a picture there? should be in the uh, article, right? Yeah. You see? So you have on two sides, right? Um, there were 28 rods of gold. Each resembled half of a hollow of reed. 14 were used for one arrangement and 14 for the other arrangement. The Torah calls them the Minakios. The Minakios. How much to be, I think, Rashi argues on some of the details. There were two incense bowls. The two bowls of incense, what were they doing there? The frankincense was placed inside them on the table, on the side of the showbread. The Torah calls them, the bowls, kapot. Kapot, like a spoon. The molds used to make the showbread are called ke'arot. Um, then the Ramam gives us some details. The 28 rods mentioned above were used as follows. The first loaf was placed on the table itself. Three rods were placed between the first and... Imagine, because you have the one layer. Three rods were placed between the first and second loaf. Similarly, three rods, three rods were placed between the, each of the following loaves. You're going up and up. So between the fifth and sixth loaf, there were only two rods. For another loaf is not placed upon the sixth. Thus, each row of loaves required 14 rods. So you have an elaborate table. And the Rambam concludes by saying, there were two tables in the entrance hall. In other words, you have, try to picture in your mind, the basic Mishkan is the Kodesh, the Holy. And then as you get holier... Going more to the west, you have what's called the Holy of Holies. Where was the table? The table is on the north side, the north side of the Mishkan as you are moving towards the west. It's on the north side. And, and before you get into the Mishkan, there were two other tables near the entrance to the temple building. One was made of marble, and the lechem upon it was placed upon it before it was brought in. The other was made of gold. The bread was placed upon it when it was brought out. So it was what? It was marble. They put it, as they were about to put the, the bread in, they had it first on the table where it would be warm, and then they would take off the bread, because as we will see in a moment, the bread had to be present on the Shulchan Tamid all the time. And therefore the Mishnayis teach us something, something very interesting. The Mishnayis teach us that in describing this uh, the ceremony, in describing the ceremony of the um, of the Lechem Apanim, the Mishnayis says as follows, in Menachos, that four Kohanim would enter the would enter into the Mishkan or the Beis Hamikdash, two bearing the two rows of the new showbread in their hands, and the two bearing the two rows of the old. Four went in before them, two to take away the two rows of the old showbread, and and as they withdrew the old showbread. The others laid down the new. The handbreadth of one being by the side of the handbreadth of the other. For it is written before me continually. In other words, if you could sort of envision this, 
you had the, the, the lechem, which wasn't really lechem, it was matzah halachically, had to remain on the shulchan all the time. So how do you do that if they would switch it, they would bake it on Erev Shabbos, and they would switch it on Shabbos. So when you switched it, when you took it off, so there was going to be a time that there wouldn't be any bread. There was going to be a time there would be any bread. So, so this is a delicate operation, right? So comes the Mishnah and says, according to the Chachamim, so what they would do is they would sort of like slide, we had six rows, right? So they would slide the bread, the new, they would take off the old bread, and they would slide the new bread, so that there would never be a time that there would be without bread on the table. Because the halacha says that the lechem apanim had to be on the shulchan tamid all the time. So much so, so much so, that the halacha says, um, according to the Chachamim, the halacha says, in, 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 um, brought down in the, in the Medrash, that tamid, the, that the bread, even when they were traveling, even when they were traveling on the, the Mishkan would travel, right? not the Beis Hamidosh. So when they would travel, they would cover the utensils and it would be, they dismantled the utensils, some of, they dismantled the Mishkan, but the bread had to remain on the Shulchan even when it was traveling. And Tamid also means, says the Medrash, even if they were Tamid, they had to keep the bread on the Shulchan. So it's very interesting, according to the Chachamim, according to the Chachamim, the Nekuda, this idea of the Shulchan, this idea of the Shulchan and the bread and its continuous connection is something that we need to understand. What's the depth? Why, why is that such an important aspect? I mean, you couldn't go a moment without... Indeed, Rabbi Yossi holds. Rabbi Yossi in the Mishnah holds. No, you don't need it to be... All, you can, as long as you have on the same day, you replace the morning, and then you put it in the afternoon, that's fine. It's according to Rabbi Yossi. But according to the Chachamin, you couldn't have a moment without the bread. What's the big deal? I mean, Jews and food, like, you know, some people are like, right, they have to, like, you know, there always has to be access to food and what's going to be, you know. Sometimes you go on a plane and people bring, like, a whole, like, you know, several pastrami sandwiches, like, you know, because what's going to be in case they don't, they run out of kosher food? And what's, I mean, what's the, um, like, what's this emphasis of the bread and tamid? And... That's the first question I want to know with you. Let's look at the, um, let's, let's look at the, um, at the Torah itself. Let's look at page 448. Pasuk of Gimel. Pasuk of Gimel. And you shall make a shulchan which is from shitim wood. It's not, it's not exciting. The Torah says it should be a length of two amos, as we mentioned before, 12 tvachim according to one opinion, the Ramam quotes that opinion. The Amo Rachbo and one Amo is its width. The Amo Vachetzi Komaso and its height is one and a half. Two Amos of length, one Amo of width, and one and a half Amo of height. Vitzipisa Oso Zahav Tahar, and you, you cover it with gold. Vasisa Lo Zer Zahav Savid, and you make a golden language of Arch gold is a gold crown around the table. When you think about the word crown, what do you connect it with, obviously? Jewelry. What's that? Somebody said the jewelry. Okay, that's good. Somebody said, somebody said a different word. I like the word. Somebody said a Hebrew word. Malchus. Kingship. Kingship. So you know, one of the most famous ideas associated um, with the utensils of the Beis Hamidosh is the crown. There were three utensils that had with it a crown. Okay, so I'm going to try to sort of like move from the, from the psukim to a little bit like a little deeper and then go back. What were the three utensils that had with it a crown? The One was the shulchan. Good, very good, excellent. Mizbeach. The mizbeach, right? 
the Mizbeach had a, had a border around it. And, and the most famous, of course, is the Aron, the Aron Kodesh. And the rabbis tell us that there are three crowns. There are three crowns that exist among the Jewish people. The three crowns are Keser, Torah, Keter, Kehuna, and the third one is called what? Keter, Malchus. The Keter, no, this should be easy. New, help me out here. The Keter of Torah is connected to what? To the Aron Kodesh, for obvious reasons. The Keter of Kahuna is associated with what? With the Mizbeach, right? And the Keter of Malchus is associated with what? No? With the table. So the first basic core idea that we will see is the association of the Shulchan with Malchus. The first core idea, the Shulchan, the table, is associated with Malchus, and therefore Malchus has to do one of the most key functions of the Melech, is what? What's the job of the Melech? The job of the king? To sustain the people. To sustain the people. So the bread on the table, we understand a little bit more. The bread on the table has to do with sustenance, has to do with malchus. Just by the way, because there's so much incredible like detail in the, in the Mishkan, um, we believe that when it comes to kahuna and malchus, not everybody has access. What do I mean by that? that not everybody has access. Only certain people can be the Kahuna. You can't be. Now, most people can't be me. You can't be Kohana. You can't be Kohana. Right? You can't be Kohana. And you can't be and, and I can't be a Melech. Right? Except us. Chashmonon. We, we did a dump, whatever. So, right, so you, a, a Kohen is from Shevet Levi. Um, a Melech is from Shevet Yehuda. So those are not accessible to all. So when the Torah describes... The Torah describes the crown when it, by, the, by the shulchan. The Torah uses the phrase, Vasita lo, you should make for him. You should make for him a crown. Him meaning, right, not, not necessarily you. Right? Vasita lo, you should make for him a crown. When the Torah describes the, the, um, the description of the of the Mizbeach, of the Mizbeach. So the Torah says um, the same thing. The Torah says, Vyasita, give me the language in a moment. The Torah says by the Mizbeach, Vyasita lo, also. You shall make for him. Because the Mizbeach is, the Mizbeach is for the Kohanim. When the Torah set, talks about it with regard to the, with regard to the Aron, there the Torah doesn't say that. There the Torah says, the language of the Torah is, one second please. By the Shulchan it says Vasita Lo. By the Mizbeach it says Vasita Lo. By the Aron it says you shall make a love. Not, not Lo. You shall make upon it. Why is that? Because it's not limited to a particular person. It's, the Keter of Kahuna is limited. The Keter of, of Malchus is limited. The Keter of Torah is open to all. So, the first key association here is the Shulchan is connected to the concept of the Zer, the crown, the, the, the crown, royalty, Melech. Then the Torah says, let's, 
go on a little bit more. Let's look at Pasuk Kafhei. Vasita lo miskeret tofach saviv. Vasita zerzol lo miskeret tofach saviv. You'll make a miskeret. You'll make a, um, a frame around the, mizbe, the shulchan. Not just a crown, a frame. According to Rashi, there's a whole machloket where that miskeret is. But if you look at the art scroll here, the miskeret is below the crown. It's, it surrounds the shulchan. And then you will make four rings. Four rings, which you will put the, we'll see in a moment, in the four corners. And Pasuk Kavzayin, and what are the, what's the function of the rings? You're going to put these wooden poles known as the staves, and they're going to be used to carry the shulchan. And they'll be made of wood, and it'll be covered by gold. And it will be used to carry the shulchan. But we already said it's going to be used to carry the shulchan. That we already said in Pasuk Kavzayin. So why does the Torah say again, it will be used to carry the Shulchan? So the Meshachachmas has an amazing thing. And again, I'm, gonna, I'm throwing a lot of details at you, but as we, when, we, when we put it all together, you'll see how beautiful it sort of crescendos. The Meshachachmas has an amazing thing. There are two times, there are two times where the regular Jews would come to the Beis HaMikdash. Of course, they would come three times a year, but there were two times where the Kohanim wanted to show them how much God loves you. The Kohanim wanted to show the regular Jew how much God loved them. And the Gemara in five places in the Talmud, four places regarding the Shulchan and one place regarding the Aron, the Gemara uses the same terminology that the Kohanim would say, Re'u chibaschem lifnei hamakom. Look how much God loves you. Re'u chibaschem lifnei hamakom. Look how much God loves you. What were, the, what were the two times? One was they would, and I don't want to go into the details how they would do this, but they would sort of like pull away the curtains and they would show the Jew a, the, the image of the Kruvim. The Kruvim, atop of the Aron, and they would be in an embrace. And, the, and when the Kruvim are in an embrace... So that's a, that's, a, that's a tremendous imagery of love between God and the Jewish people. So the Kohanim would say, look how much God loves you. You come from so far and wide to be connected to the Hashem. You should know Hashem loves you. That's one time. But the second time that they would sort of show the people what they would do is they would lift up the Shulchan. The Shulchan was meant to be lifted. All the other Kalim stayed on the ground. The Gemara in Chagiga says, why is the Shulchan, you know, they have to be very careful to make sure not to be metame the Shulchan, not to make it impure. And the Gemara says, why? After all, if you touch something that's, that's meant to stay on the ground, if it's a very heavy thing, what's called kli eitz hasui lenachas, it's meant to remain on the ground, so then the halacha is, you can't make it tame. If you have a... If you, if you, take a dead person, and you put that person in this room. So maybe we would become tummy, but the, the walls won't become tummy, because the walls are mechubar l'karka, it's attached to the ground. So the Gemara says, a shulchan was a very heavy thing, so it, it can't receive tumah. The Gemara says, no, no, no. It's not, the shulchan was not meant to remain on the ground. They would lift it up. They would lift it up to show the to show the Jews how much God loves you. What would they say? Look how much God loves you. And then they would take the bread off and they would show, look, it's soft, or the show bread. Siluko kisiduro. Look how much God loves you. The bread is still very soft. So what's going on here, says the Meshachachma. The Torah is telling us that these poles that were used to lift up the shulchan, benisa bames shulchan. They were not meant simply to carry. They were meant to lift up that table in order to show the Jewish people it, the beauty of the relationship between Hashem and, and Kal Yisrael. And finally, the Torah says, you will make you will make the other parts of the utensil, you would make the plates which were used to put the bread in, 
the chaposav, the spoons or the bowls that would they put the frankincense, which I'm not going to have time to talk about today. The ksosav, menachiosav, the hollows or the and the pillars on, alongside the table. And you will place on the shulchan the lechem panim lefanai before me tamid. As we spoke about before, tamid means constantly. So we have this shulchan which is connected to malchus and the bread has to be there all the time and then there are different pieces to the shulchan and they would be lifted up and the bread would always remain the bread would always remain soft or remain fresh, and they would make the transfer on Shabbos. I, I mentioned that, they make the transfer on Shabbos, and according to the Chachamim, there would never be a moment without the bread. And then what would they do with that bread? What happened to that bread? Anybody know what would happen to that bread? Would they uh, burn it on the Mizbeach? So the answer is no. The answer is, you know, that every part... Every, every carbon, every sacrifice, this is just a sort of like Kudshim 101. Sacrifice is 101. Every carbon in the Beis HaMikdash had to have something that was burnt on the Mizbeach, burnt on the altar. And then many of the carbonos were then allowed to be eaten. Not all of them. There was a famous carbon that you would be completely burnt. Anybody know what that was called? Ola. Completely burnt. But a chatos partially burnt and partially eaten. Shlamim, partially burnt, partially eaten. And then a mincha, they would take a little bit of the flour, and they would put it on the altar, and they would burn that, and then they would eat the rest. And a mincha was very big. A mincha could be um, 43.2 eggs worth of, that's about 96 ounces um, worth of, 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 uh, of uh, a flour, and they would just take a fistful which is a very small amount, three fingers full, put it on the Mizbeach, and the rest would be eaten. Kohanim would, would, would have pancakes, would have, you know, they'd have special kachim and Jemima pancake syrup, whatever it is. They, and, and they were actually with different types of kach, of menochos. Some were fried, and some, forget about the doctors and the cholesterol, that's stamazoi, the, the Gemara tells us the Kohanim didn't have the greatest diet in the world, whatever it is. But, um, you know, they say on Shabbos you can't uh, gain weight. Yeah, you heard that one, right? Shabbos, you know, you can have as much chant as you want. Moti Shabbos is a terrible after effect. When Shabbos, you can't gain weight. So, so the, what, what, what do they do with that bread? So they would take the frankincense, the, they would take the levona, the cup. Remember the Raman talks about the cups? There were two cups that were on that lechem upon him. I know there's a lot of, maybe some people like TMI, too much information, but you'll see what's going to come together. You take the, they, would take the, they would take the bowls and they would put that on the Mizbeach. That would be burnt. And once they would, no, because you have to, you have to give something to Hashem. They would burn the incense on the mizbeach, and after they would burn the incense on the mizbeach, they would then take the loaves of bread, twelve loaves, and they would divide the twelve loaves seven and five. They would give to one because there were two shifts. The Shabbos was the one they would do the changing of the shifts because they would have a shift. You'd have twenty-four different shifts over the course of the year. The shifts would change on Shabbos. The changing of the guards. And there would be the new shift would come in on Shabbos, and the old shift would leave on Shabbos. So they would, what's that? Gewaldic. So one second. So so they would do seven and five. They would give seven to one of the shifts and five to the other shift. So, but how many people are on a shift? So let's say there were I don't know. Let's say there were a hundred thousand kohanim. So now divide that by twenty-four. So divide it by twenty-four. So they had twelve, right? So you so you had a. So you had uh, 12 loaves of bread. 100,000 by 25 right? is 4. Okay, you have 4,000 kohanim. And the 4,000 kohanim got to eat 12, lo- 12 loaves of bread, right? No, 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 that's wrong. 8,000 kohanim, because there were two shifts. So 8,000 kohanim got to eat 12 loaves of bread. One of the shifts ate 5 loaves. The other shift ate 7 loaves. So how much are you going to get? So the Gemara says that each kohen got kippol. Each coin got like a bean's worth of bread. Each coin got like a bean's worth of bread. Kippol. And then the Gemara says an amazing thing. And that gave the coin tremendous satisfaction. That gave the coin tremendous satisfaction. That's wild. What's, what's that about? What's that about? So I want to learn with you 
I don't have much time. I'm going to go with you. Some amazing Torah of the Kliyakar. And then to take that Torah of the Kliyakar, merge it with the Rabbeinu Bechaye, and share with you some amazing ideas connected to the Shulchan. Number one. The Kliyakar says as follows. Big idea number one. He writes, first of all, I just have to read to you uh, this amazing introductory comment. He says that when it comes to the utensils of the Beis HaMikdash, of the Mishkan, he says that many people learn the Torah in a very simple way. And they don't go into the depth of the Inyanim. But when it comes to when it comes to the Kalim of the Beis HaMikdash, even the Pashtanim, even the simple Mepharshim, would go out of their way to learn it in a deep fashion. And he said, therefore, Mela'ani Libi, therefore I am coming out of my way, Lasos Gamkein Rimazim, to give many deep hints. Lomar Ula Yishmu Ha'ivrim Shebemachane Ha'ivrim Musr. Maybe those Ivrim, the blind people who are in the Machane Ha'ivrim, who are in the camp of the Hebrews, will be able to listen and hear and take Musr. So what does he say? What's going on with the Shulchan? So says the Kliyakar as follows. Lesson number one. Lesson number one of the Shulchan. We said that the Shulchan, that number one, when you eat from the Shulchan, which represents, of course, the Malchus of Hashem, we, number one, we realize that all of our material success, idea number one, that all of our material success ultimately, we believe, comes from Hashem. That all of our material success comes from Hashem. So what's going on in the Mishkan? That the, that the Ribbon Olam has a place called a Shulchan. And that Shulchan is going to be Dafka on Shabbos. They're going to give out the bread. Because as we, as we know, Shabbos is the Mekor HaBracha. Shabbos is the source of blessing. So on Shabbos, which is the source of blessing, Hashem wants to shower the world with blessing. And all Hatzlacha and Noshis, all human success, is a gift from God. Min Shulchan Gavoa Zeyotze. All Hatzlacha and Noshis is Min Shulchan Gavoa. And says the Kliyakar, that you will find that Remez Lamidas Hat Sadikim, this alludes to the righteous. Hasmechim Bechelkam, the Einam Chaserim Lenafsham Muma, who are happy with what they have, and they never feel like they're missing. And even if they're only eating a little bit, they feel like they have a lot. And says the Kliyakar, what's my proof to this idea? The classic confrontation between, no, you tell me. Between Yaakov and Esav. What does Yaakov say? I have everything. And what does Esav say? I have a lot. But if you look more carefully in the dialogue between Yaakov and Esav, Yaakov says, I have everything. Yeshli kol. And, and, ya- and Esav says, Yeshli rav. The language of the text of the Torah by Esav, by Yaakov is, I have everything because this is what God has given me. Hanani Elokim, when a Jew realizes that what he or she has is coming from God, then what I have is everything that I need. So I might have a little, you might have a lot, but what I have is coal, the Bechina of coal, the idea that what I have is all that I need. And it's all coming from the Ribbona Sha'olam, that it all comes from the Shulchan Gavoa, lesson number one. That all Hatzlacha Gashmis, all human success, comes from the Ribbon Shalom. We are not the masters of our destiny. Yaakov Avinu, Yeshli Kol, number one. Number two, says the Kliyakar, that when a person eats Mishulchan Gavoa, they didn't eat a lot. They didn't eat a lot. Lo Yemale Resen Bidnovet Tavaso. They didn't eat like a pig. Ela Yishbar Tavaso. But he broke his desire. 
and he didn't he didn't fully engage in the material. Because the tzaddik does not have a full-fledged, a full-fledged material sort of onslaught. The Rambam says that when, you, when a person eats food, they're supposed to eat up to two-thirds of satiation. They should leave themselves not completely full. Because when a Jew engages in the material world, then they need what? They need to leave a little bit over. They need to sort of be in control. So therefore, when you have this amazing thing, you have these things called glat yat. You might be familiar with the glat yat if you're not in my days. This is a big thing. Or you have these kosher hot dog eating festivals. Glat kosher hot dog eating festivals. We have you have Yidin. You have Yidin. Who what? Somebody told me this. They were on a cruise. If you want to cruise, please don't, please don't admit that right now because you'll see what I mean. So they were on a cruise la- last week. They were the, went to the Yeshiva week. And they said they went on a cruise and there were 9,000 people on this cruise. Wow. And there were uh, 2,000 of them were Jews. And some of them, he said, were, were Jews with Strymalach and Pelach. And he said, and, the, and, and, and they had uh, several kosher restaurants on the cruise. And they, and they were telling me, they, they said they couldn't believe how these Jews were like, they went to the same shows and the same, the, the, the same, the same comedy things and the same gambling and the same this and that and the same food. Except that this one was this was a glatt kosher hot dog and this one was a glatt treif hot dog. But other than that, it was there was really indistinguishable. So comes the kliyaka and he says, when you're eating from the shulchan gavoha, it's not just that it has a haimisha seventeen hashkachas on it. It's not just that. But says the says the Kliyakar that a person has to know how a Jew eats. That a Jew has to recognize Lo Yimale Resen Bitnovitavaso. That he doesn't that he doesn't it's not a full fledged onslaught in the material world. He has to leave a little bit over. And then he says, Vizetovla Adam Hain Mitsara Rafua, Shalo Yimale Ha itstum kamachal. That it's good from a health perspective. One of my close uh family members, I can't say who or else I'll get in trouble, is going with the Rambam's diet. And there's a, there are several books that have come out with the Rambam's diet recently. We have some very good books that came in the last few, last few years. And one of the things about the Rambam's diet is that you, he says you can't fill yourself up. You know how hard it is not to fill yourself up? Because like, we're so caught up in that. So, so a second idea, says the Kliyakar, is that a Jew has to know that, no, you have to... It's not just having the glad kosher. Shulchan Gavoa represents the, material, the Jews' engagement with the material world. Number three, it says, V'tzipisa oso zahav tahar. Zahav tahar, you should, you should cloak it with gold. So the Rabbeinu Bechaye says, Zahav represents, Zayin is birchas hazan. The first bracha of the birchas hamazan. Hey is the birchas haaretz. Beis is the birchas boneh. What's the way in which what? In which a Jew takes the material world and adorns it with gold? The way a Jew does that is by giving the proper connection, the proper what? The proper, the proper acknowledgement to the Rebono Sha'olam. That a Jew cloaks it with gold. Many people we know, many people we know that, you know, when it comes to eating, they're very, very good at eating. When it comes to benching, they push it off. You know, I don't know. They don't want to wash because they have benching phobia. And th- so, says the Kliyakar, the, the engagement in the material, point number three, is part of dveikus to God. That's how you cloak it with gold. Point number four. Point number four. Make a, make a miscaret. Make a miscaret around it. A miscaret means that you should make a gate, a fence around it. Because if you're able to fence in your desire, then you're a king. We, may, we mentioned this before, the kind of how much you should eat. But the idea of fencing it in means you're going to be a melech if you're able to what? If you're able to be in control of yourself. The control necessary when one engages the material world. Number of, point number five. The, the Torah says you should make four rings. Four rings. And says the Kliyakar, you should recognize that a ring is a circle. That sometimes a person is going to be very wildly successful in the material world. 
but a circle, a galgal, sometimes you're going you're gonna to end up poor. I have a friend of mine, he's, he, he said to me, Rabbi Brander, I have been zochet to be a millionaire twice over. I was a millionaire, I was bankrupt, millionaire, bankrupt again. I always, unfortunately, I always know the millionaires after they're the millionaires, you know? So, so a person has to realize that all of their engagement in the material world, says the Kleyakar, that you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know whether you'll be on, the, you'll be on which part of the, of the circle you'll be. And therefore, if you remember that, you will be mefarnes mishulchano le'aniyim, which we'll get to at the end of this year. You're going to what? You're going to be mefarnes poor people, because you're going to realize that maybe the, the material bounty that you have is going to what? Is going to be for you now. But you never know what's going to happen. And therefore, if you take a look at the beautiful explanation the Kliyakar says, that what does the Torah say? That these rings are going to be, what does the Torah say? It's going to be a house for the what? It's going to be a house for the, for the poles. And the word pole in Hebrew is badim. Livadim, for the badim. But if you take those words, the letters of libadim, you will find in it also biddalim. Biddalim means the poor people. So you should make a house for the dalim. Your table should be a house for the poor people. Your table should what? Your table should be a material place, a bounty for others as well. And so the Kliyakar finds, and I'm, I'm skipping a few ideas, he finds in the concept of the Shulchan the way in which the Jew should engage the material world. And, and certainly what he has to say is very, very powerful. So that's just sort of like beautiful and cute and wonderful ideas. But I'd like to take this one step further and really make the first major point of the year in terms of what the significance of the Shulchan is. And that is, as we mentioned before, the Shulchan represents the Keser Malchus. Malchus, as we mentioned before, the kingship. And the Ramban and the Rabbeinu Bechai say something remarkable here. Um, one preface, before we get to the Ramban and the Rabbeinu Bechai, one important preface. The Gemara in Menachos, page 98, says that Shlomo HaMelech made not one table, but Shlomo HaMelech made ten tables. Ten tables. So in the Torah it says make one table. And Shlomo Melech didn't make one, he made ten plus one. Eleven tables. In the Torah it says make one menorah. Shlomo Melech made ten plus one menorah. Eleven menorahs. The Gemara debates how did he sort of set it up. Because the menorah always has to be to the north. The tzafon. It has to be to the north when you are walking when you are orienting to the west, it has to be on the right-hand side if you're walking towards the west. But really, it's considered to be on the left-hand side because you're always looking towards the east, which is not for now. So, so the, Shlomo Melech made ten tables plus the one, and ten menorahs plus the one. So the commentary struggle. What right did he have to do this? What right did he have to add on to the, add on to the, the Torah? The Torah says one table, he made eleven tables. Torah says one menorah, he made 11 menorahs. Commentary struggle. The Meshachachma says, well, it's a very simple thing. The Meshachachma says, Shlomo Melech made a very simple cheshman. The, the, the calculation is as follows. The Torah tells us that the Mishkan was 10 by 30 by 10, with 10 length, 30, 10 width, 30 length, 10 height. That's a total of how much? 10 by 30 by 10 is what? 3,000? 3,000 square feet? Right? Yeah, you cubic feet? Yeah. So the Mishkan was 20 by 60 by 20 by 60 by 30. So that's 36,000. 36,000 square cubic feet. So Shlomo Melch made a simple cheshman. If the Mishkan had one shulchan and that was for 3,000 feet, so he realized you had to multiply it out. But why didn't he make 12? Because that would have been the perfect... Okay, without the details. So that's the Meshachachmah's explanation. But we still are bothered by the question, why did, why did Shlomo Melch add ten tables? And according to one opinion in the Gemara, two opinions in the Gemara, according to one opinion in the Gemara, the ten tables were as follows. He, the, ten plus one. He had the Lechem upon him on one of them. And then, 
the other tables didn't even have the lechem and they just surrounded so that Moshe Rabbeinu's original table is in the middle and then you had five and five and then in the middle. Why did he do that? What, what, what was the, what's the concept here? So let me read to you this amazing Ramban Rabbeinu B'chai. Okay. Enough, enough schmoozing. Get to the essence. So it says the Rabbeinu B'chai That when we want to understand the Yisod of the Mishkan, the Yisod of the, of the Shulchan, rather, so you have to understand that the Ribbono Sholam, that the Ribbono Sholam wants to be able to give, wants to be able to give to his world. God created the world. His responsibility to, to, to give to the world. So every Shabbos, God sustains the world anew. Every Shabbos, God sustains the world anew. Shabbos, as we said before, is the Mekar HaBracha. So what does God do? So, says the Rabbeinu B'chayi, Hashem takes this Lechem, and there has to be something for which there is a source of bracha. Remember the story, Elisha and Elio, two different Nevi'im. Mm-hmm. Remember the story where they had the, the woman that was very poor? You know what I'm talking about? And what did Elisha say? What did Elisha say? What's that? Take the oil. But first, what did he say before that? Get all the kalim. First, get all the kalim you can. Get all the kalim, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to make sure that what? Make sure that there's still a little bit of oil. And then what did he do? He kept on pouring. So the Rabbeinu Machai and the Rabbeinu pointed out, why? He, he couldn't, Elisha was making a miracle. He couldn't just what? He couldn't have just made something from nothing? So what's the answer? The answer is, that's right. There are two modes of the world. When Hashem created the world, the very beginning, it was the bracha of Yesh Me'ayin. Of something from nothing. And ever since the creation finished, the new mode of reality is what? It's no longer yesh me'ayin, it's what? It's yesh me'yesh. That the Ribbono Shalom himself says, I want to give to my people. I want there to be bracha in the world. Halechem asher olav kohanim The bread that the kohanim would eat that the, as we said before, 8,000, 10,000, who knows how many, a little bit of bread, a little bit of bread would, would, would suffice. What's the, listen, an amazing thing. What does the word shulchan mean? So we say it means table. How does the word shulchan mean table? Table is an arbitrary word. Says the Rebbeinu B'chai, listen to this. The word shulchan, Rabosai, if there's anybody sleeping, please wake up. V'alke, of course, just don't snore. V'alke, nikra shulchan, she'akadosh baruch hu, sholeach birchaso belechem she'olav. Why is it called the shulchan? Because the word shulchan is connected to what word? To what word, Rabosai? Shliach. That Hashem uses the Shulchan. The Shulchan Malachim. Everything starts in the Mishkan. The Mishkan is God's interface with the world. The world needs to be sustained. God is the Melech Malachim Malachim. He has a fiduciary responsibility to the world. He needs to bring Bracha into the world. How does he bring Bracha in the world? The conduit of Bracha in the world is going to happen through the Shulchan. The Shulchan is going... And, and, if, and if God forbid, if God forbid for one second... If for one second God would stop, would stop sustaining the world, it has to be what? what is, what's the key word when it comes to Lechem? Part of it has to be what? It has to be Tamid. It has to be all the time. If for one second, for one second, famous story of the Balatanya, famous story of the Babacha, first Babacha Rebbe, that when the, the Rebbe said to the boys, what does God need to destroy the world? So what does he need to do? So one guy, so one Talmud said, he's got to, you know, he's going to, Thunder and lightning, and then the Balatani, the way the story is told, the Balatani was quiet. 
And the Rebbe said, no, what does he have to do when he was quiet? And the other boys started laughing. And the Rebbe said, he's the only one that's right. Then what does the Rebbe have to do to destroy the world? He just has to stop giving bracha. Because the world is constantly being mechadish b'chol yom tamid. It's constantly being renewed. So if there would be one second where there would not be bread on the shulchan, which is what? Which is the vehicle, the conduit of bracha in the world? So then what would happen? The world would be destroyed. You can ask me a good kasha. There's no, there hasn't been bread. There hasn't been bread on the shulchan in a long time. You want to know the answer, say? We're living in a destroyed world. We're living in a destroyed world. And you want to know something? The rabbis tell us from the time that the Beis Amidus was destroyed, not just like, you know, not just all the things you'd expect that God, you know, God is hidden and you can't find Him and, you, and there's tragedy in the world. All that I get! But it also says in the Gemara, from the time the basin is destroyed, the fruit doesn't taste the same. You know, we think that a, we think that a pineapple should have a tart aftertaste. Go to Costa Rica and you'll know what a pineapple tastes like. I had that schuss one time I went to Costa Rica. I was like waiting for like the antacid, like, you know, the, you know, the, the part after we take the, the pineapple at the end, like you usually get to the, it was just like all sweet. I said, oh wow, what, what's happening here? They put like the rollades in the in the uh, they put the antacid in the in the thing. What, I, what happened? That, that, it's not supposed to be that way. The Gemara says from the time the basin was destroyed, nitla tam peros. We live in a destroyed world. So, so the shulchan represents the divine interface with man, and that's why when the kohen eats just a little bit, that's enough. Because when you're talking about divine food, it doesn't need to be that much. And that's really, that's really a carryover from who? From Avraham and Sarah. That type of interface. And by the way, I want to share with you. I, just, I was in Eretz Yisrael. And I, I think you know that. I was in Eretz Yisrael this past two weeks. And it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. You can go into many families in Eretz Yisrael. And they live very simply. They live very simply. They don't quite have the feast of Pico Boulevard. If they have meat on a Shabbos, that's a real treat. They live very simply. And you know what? They're very happy. They're very happy. Because if you're being sustained from the Rebona Sha'alam, it doesn't take that much. It doesn't take that much. But if you've cut off that flow, if the shulchan no longer is miloshon shliach, so then you're being sustained just from a detached source, so then all the food in the world won't drown away the sorrowful state that we find ourselves. We can sing us the song of the piano man. We can go to the bar and drink away. And we're still going to be, and we're still going to be sad. As a Talmud of mine said to me today, I asked him, do you like drinking? He said, when I drink, at the time that I drink, I like it. Because at that moment, but that's not what it's called, that's not what it means to be misbarich from the Ribbono Shalom. And therefore what? And therefore, habracha hazu, this bracha, of the Shulchan Lefanai Tamid. This bracha of the Shulchan Lefanai Tamid starts with just a little bit. And you find that the Nevi'im, Elisha and Elio, says the, says the Rabbeinu B'chayai, that the Bria, from now on, it's always going to be that model. And the Orcho Shala Shulchan, that the, the whole idea of the length of the Shulchan, the 12 Tvachim that we mentioned in the Rambam, and and and, this, and the and the the width of the the width of the twelfth the width of the sixth tvachim and the height all of that was uh, was placed alongside the mishkan to say that from that place of the mishkan to the table and from the table to all the tables I'm going to get to that in a moment from that table to all the tables in the world 
from that table to all the tables in the world, you will find unbelievable sustenance. The, the Mishkan powered the, the Shefa that existed in the world. And all you needed to do was to tap into that and to recognize and acknowledge that from the Ribbon Shalom comes sustenance. And therefore you needed less. You needed less. There's a lot more to say about this Nikuda. But there's one other theme I want to share with you about the Shulchan. And this other theme might even be more significant than this first. And so the first key theme, Shulchan is Malchus, and Hashem sustains. And He sustains Tamid all the time. And if you would stop sustaining, then there would be no world. And, and it all requires a little bit, because a little bit goes a long way if you feel like you're connected to Hashem. And... And this is why we find in the new world after Hashem created, the Nevi'im always used the yesh me yesh. But you know, as we said before, that everything that's in the, in the, in the Mishkan, right, that, that there's a great symbolism. So there's an unbelievable thing. This is, one that, this is such an unbelievable idea. There's an unbelievable idea. Some of you might not have heard of this that the Shulchan also takes on another aspect. And the Shulchan, on some level, is also likened to the Mizbeach. Yechiel mentioned this before. That in the Beis HaMikdash, the Mizbeach was right next to the Shulchan. And according to one opinion in the Gemara, before you could walk into the Holy of Holies, you had to walk in between the Shulchan and the Mizbeach. That there's a connection between... The Shulchan is on the right-hand side, the Mizbeach is in the middle, and on the left-hand side is the Menorah. There's a connection between the Shulchan and the Mizbeach, and the Mizbeach and the Menorah. So what's the connection between the Shulchan and the Mizbeach? The Gemara in Brachas Atten Hay says. Some of you might have heard of this idea. When I was growing up, I was always told, you can't sit on a table. You ever hear that idea? You can't sit on a table. Anybody know why? Because the Shulchan is like a Mizbeach. What does that mean, the Shulchan is like a Mizbeach? What is that? It's not a Mizbeach, it's like a Mizbeach. Shulchan is like a Shulchan. So that really comes from a Gemara. The Gemara in darshaning, in deriving from a Pasuk in Yechezkel, in Brachas and Dafnun Hay. The Gemara says an amazing thing. You see, the Mizbeach was a Kapara. The Mizbeach is an atonement. The Shulchan, we said, is not an atonement. The Shulchan is what? The Shulchan is sustenance. But the truth is that's not 100% true because some of the Shulchan went on the Mizbeach. We know that the Shulchan, that the what? That the frankincense, as I mentioned before, details... But the frankincense went on the Mizbeach. The Shulchan had a kapara element to it also. The Shulchan brought about atonement as well. And the Gemara in Bracha says a very good question. Gemara says, now that we don't have a Mizbeach, what brings kapara? So the Gemara says as follows. I want to read to you the language of the Gemara. Bizman Shebeis HaMikdash Kayam. When the Beis HaMikdash is around, then Adam Miskaper Ayyadeh HaMizbeach then a person could receive kapara through the Mizbeach, but achshav she'ein beis ha'migdash kayom, but now that there is no beis ha'migdash, so then adam is kaper ha'shulchan, then a person can achieve atonement through the table. What happened here? What do you mean? If there's no beis ha'migdash, there's no Mizbeach, there's no shulchan. What does the Gemara mean? So the Rebbein Bechaya and the Ramban, the Rebbein Bechaya explains, it's not talking about the table in the Mishkan. The table in the Mishkan is a paradigm for something even more basic. Which is an amazing thing. An amazing thing. That the Gemara says in the Gemara says the Brachas that Nadalat, Hamarich al Shulchano, if you have a long meal, you have a long meal. Marichin lo yama you can have long days and long years. What does that mean? So says Rabbi Bachai, an amazing thing. Nowadays, we don't have the Mizbeach. So the Shulchan is the Mizbeach. But which Shulchan is the Mizbeach? It's the, our table that's the Mizbeach. How is our table the Mizbeach? Because the Shulchan becomes the preeminent means of achieving atonement. Because the Shulchan becomes the preeminent <coughs> means of doing chesed. Because what does a Jewish table look like? A Jewish table, you know, I was in the old city Friday night a few <coughs> Shabbos ago, two Shabbos ago. I went to a very special rabbi. His name is Rabbi Shalom Gold. This is a rabbi. He has an unbelievable story. He spent some time in Pakistan and in Afghanistan. I'm making up the story. In Afghanistan and Karachi and Bombay and, and Vietnam. And like crazy stories. And 
he was high here and he was high there and he was a child of the 60s. Unbelievable story. He traveled the whole world. Told the story, his wife, his wife is also an incredibly, incredible person. Told the story that, I don't know exactly how old he was when he got married, but she walks into the base medrash. He was he had, somehow he ended up in the diaspora yeshiva. Some of you might know where it is. And she looks inside, and there are two men learning on a Friday night. And she goes in. She says, "Can somebody walk me home?" And he walks her home because she knew she wanted to marry. She walked in. And says, "I'm going to marry that guy." I don't know exactly uh, how old she was. Probably in her mid to late twenties. The way they described, it, I don't know all the details. They walked home. Three days later, they were engaged. Three weeks later, they were married. Uh-huh. This very goes an amazing person at his table. At his table. It's like, you know, a classic, eclectic table of weird Jews, including myself. <laughs> including myself. How many kids does you know, he and have? How many kids he has, I don't know, but he had more than 12 candles and each, whatever. We're not going to go into details. So the Nikud is as follows. What happens at a Jewish table? What happens at a Jewish table is that you share, you share all the core values of chesed. You know, how many stories of people, like the snowstorm in Yushalayim a few weeks ago, people just knocked on people's doors, do you mind? Sure, no problem. Sure, I have an extra stool. I mean, we're not a chair, I have a stool, you could have a couch, you could just sit, no problem. So what? We'll figure out a way, right? Because the shulchan becomes not simply the shulchan melachim, not simply the means of sustenance from the Ribbon Shalom, but it becomes the second theme of the shulchan is what? Is that it becomes the mizbeach kapara. The shulchan becomes an atonement. An amazing thing. The Sedra Rabbeinu Bechayi. There was a minhag of the Jews of France. A minhag of the Jews of France. That when the balabas, when the, when the main, when the father of the household would die, they would take the table and they would cut up the table and use it for his coffin. They would use it for his coffin. I remember when I was growing up in Kew Garden Hills, New York. I'll end in three minutes. I was growing up in Kew Garden Hills, New York. There was a Yid, I'm not going to mention his name, whose father went to the concentration camps, survived. And when he passed away, he left in his will that he should be buried in his concentration camp uniform. And the Rav explained, the rabbi explained, that when he goes to the Rebbe Shalom, he wants his uniform to be a Melitz Yosha, should be a divine intercessor. So that when he goes to the Rebbe Shalom, he says, listen, Hashem, I went through tough times and I still was loyal. This should be my, this should be my defense. Says Rabbi what's the reason why they take the Shulchan and they cut it up and used it as the coffin? Because the only thing you can take with you, you can't take with you the trappings of the shulchan. You can't take with you the gold and the silver and the beautiful finery. You can't take that with you. The only thing you can take with you is the maizim tovim that happened on the shulchan mamish. You can take with you the shulchan. The shulchan represents the new Mizbeach. The new Mizbeach is no longer the Mizbeach of Kapara that comes through the Avoda of the Mikdash, the formal Avoda. It, it's the new Mizbeach is the Jew who's Mosa Nefesh Bechesed, who gives everything to give for somebody else, who's Mosa Nefesh Bechesed. I want to share with you a story. I... Um, I uh, when I was in Eretz Yisrael, so we we had a we had an opportunity to go to the Bnei Brak. Went to Bnei Brak, and we went to Rechaim Kinyaski, who's from the Great Kedolim. And after that, after that, we went to Rav Steinman, and uh, it was very beautiful. Each one is a beautiful experience. In between, we were walking out. And there was a guy who came and he was asking for money. So he gave him money. And he says, okay, you gave me money, I want to give you a bracha. So, so he says, what do you want a bracha for? So I said, I'll take a bracha for shalom bayis. It's not bad. It's always good to have a little bit of extra shalom bayis, you know. It's not bad. 
So he gives me a bracha of Shalom Bayis and other things. So then he says, but, you know, I gave you a bracha. Let me give you a piece of advice. Ah, great. Do you want more money? No. <laughs> same thing. So, great. So advice and a bracha for the same dollar? Givaldi. So he says to me, the key, the key for Shalom Bayis is to be mivater. Mivater? Give in. Fine. It's a good piece of advice. He said, I'm telling you that's the key. You remember that's the key. Great. So, uh, a few hours later, we're driving to Yushalayim, and, you know, it's hard to find a parking spot in Yushalayim, in certain places, it's hard. So we're trying to park, and um, I find a spot, it's really a good spot, it's right next to where we were staying, and I let the guys out, I'm driving, let the guys out, and as I let the guy out, there's another guy who comes to my left, comes to my left, goes like in front of me, and I'm waiting in front of the spot, he backs it, like, you know, and I'm honking, I'm honking, I'm honking, like, but, you know, either he had a problem with his hearing or, you know, whatever, he had to go turn it. So he goes in. So I roll up my car, and I'm ready to, you know, engage in some words, you know. So I roll up my window, he rolls, rolls down, he rolls down his window, and he says to me, speak Hebrew? I said, yeah, because apparently he wants to make sure that he understands mm-hmm. when he ranks me out. He, you know, he doesn't just, you know. So he says to me, He says to me, you're like, you have, you have a lot of chutzpah. So I said to him, why? He said, but you're hunking. I said to him, Ani chatzuf? I have chutzpah? I'm waiting for this spot. It's right there. Just let the guys out. You know, and you go in around me, and you back in and goes, and I'm a, I have chutzpah? So I, then I said to him, you know what? Because I'm, I'm a big tzaddik, you know. You know what? I said to him, Aval ani mevater. I give it. I give it. So as I'm about to drive away, he goes, Oh, I'll take it. Don't give in. So, you know, so no, it's a story. It's a true story. So, but I was already, I, I felt already, I was already on a high Madriga already. So I, drive, so, I dro- so I drive up, and it took me about three, four minutes to find the spot, to figure out to pay for the spot, come back, and he's waiting for me. He's waiting for me. And he says to me, he says to me, you know, I feel so bad. I'm so sorry. I didn't know this and that, whatever, you know. So somebody said to me afterwards, the moment you said you give in, he had no room to maneuver. He, you, 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 you forced him into the corner. When a Jew engages in chesed, it doesn't only mean that you give food. It doesn't only mean that you sustain by the table by giving another piece of potato kugel or gormizabza. It doesn't mean that. Chesed means that you give. And when a Jew gives, then the shulchan becomes a mizbeach. Is it painful to give? Sometimes it's unbelievably painful to give. A shulchan can be a mizbeach. And comes the Gemara and says that this shulchan, which, beca- which nowadays now becomes the vehicle of kapara. So that we ask the question, now that we don't have the bread, where does the bracha come from? So perhaps the answer is, the bracha comes from the shulchan that we, that we create with the help of the Ribbono Sha'olam, the shulchan which is full of chesed and full of unbelievable giving in and giving. Hashem should give each and every one of us the ability Amen. to what? to be mevater, the ability to do chesed, that we should be able to, that should bring a great shefa from the Rebbe Hashem, and it should be tamid, and we should be able to achieve kapara, and mechila, and slich, and refu, and gua, and all wonderful things. Thank you for listening. I want to just, I want to just ench- mention that my Gemara Shir is tomorrow night, is back normal, it's Thursday night as well. We have a lot of Shirim. I want to say, many people know